Hello, I'm Blair Lemke. Welcome to Let God Speak. Worship is a part of humanity and is central to the Christian experience. Whether we realize it or not, we all worship something. God has given clear instructions on how to worship. Our Bible study today will reveal this. On our panel today, we have Abel Iorgulescu and Stephen Groom. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank Hello. you. As we always do, let's begin our program with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you today for the opportunity that we have to study your word. Uh, we pray that you would send your Holy Spirit to lead and to guide us as we study the topic of worship. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, gentlemen, we're looking at the topic of worship in our quarterly series and particularly worship in how it relates to education. Uh, and whenever we consider this topic of worship, uh, we, th we need to think broadly of, you know, what is worship? Why do we do it? How do we do it? All of these sorts of questions. And so I thought a great place to start off with our viewers is what is uh, what exactly is worship? So, Abel, do you want to share? Good question, Blair. And since this is let God speak, let's allow God to speak to us through his word. So we're looking at First Chronicles chapter 16, and I'll be reading verse 29. And I think this verse is one of the many verses in the Bible that helps us understand what worship is all about. And it says here in verse 29 of First Chronicles chapter 16, Give to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of His holiness. Mm. I believe, first of all, worship is our response to God for the love He bestows upon us. Mm. He, he deserves a reverence, our attitude of gratitude, and acknowledging Him that He's the giver of all the good gifts we have. I think that's such a great uh, description of what worship is in the Bible. And as you, as you point out, God's Word is clear. Uh, but often when we think about this idea of worship, a lot of people limit it just to, say, for example, corporate worship as we're singing at church or something like this. This is the thing that automatically comes to a lot of people's minds when they think of worship. Uh, but when we look at worship in the Bible, uh, and as that text you've shared, it's, it's much more far-reaching than this and includes things mm. like uh, life worship, includes things like private worship in our lives. Uh, and so I wonder uh, if you can tell us, Steve, a little bit about what the Bible describes about this idea of this broader view of worship, this idea of life worship. Sure. Let's go to Paul's writings. He had much to say. <laughs> In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, he says, I plead with you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may know what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Mm. So this, these texts speak for themselves, don't they? And life worship basically is giving God the glory he deserves through um, a life of consecration to him. Yeah, and that's, it's just such a powerful text there that does give us an insight into the broader description of what the Bible describes as worship. And I think of that text in 
1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, where mm. it says, whether you eat, whether you drink, whatever you do, That's right. do it all to the glory of God. And uh, this is just a, such a holistic, all-encompassing view of worship that I think is, is well for us to remember as we think about it. You want to add a point? Uh, definitely. Um, God sets a very high standard and he, he gives us a life to, you know, get our life into order. Mm. And so we should always be striving to improve, I believe. Yeah. You know, sadly, sometimes we, we limit worship to maybe one day a week or to a couple of minutes a day. But worship, as you have rightly pointed out, is about the, the very things we do throughout mm. every day of our lives. Mm. Yeah. Now, you know, we, we, we've looked at this idea in, the, in Scripture of life worship. Mm. But what about these other two I guess, facets of worship uh, with uh, when the scripture talks about private worship mm. uh, and also corporate worship, which we most commonly think of. Uh, what does the Bible have to say about this aspect of worship? So Blair, in, uh, for example, in Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, and I'm looking at verse 6. Here we have Jesus Christ addressing uh, people around him and talks about this, this element of private worship and corporate worship. And it says, Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, verse 6. But you, when you pray, go into your room. And when you have shut your door, pray to your father who is in the secret place. Mm. And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. You know, so we've got a number of elements here. Uh, first of all is, you know, Jesus is encouraging us. You know, there, there, there is a time and a place for everything. Mm. And there is a time and a place for you to connect with God mm. on a personal level where you can pour out your, your heart before Him, your, your, your sufferings, your pain, your sins mm. that no one else needs to know about, but God needs, and you confess that. You ask Him for, for, you know, for help in life. Mm. And sometimes God chooses to, to, to answer your prayers in a, in a public manner. So you ask Him in privately, but He rewards you openly before everyone else, because mm. by doing that, uh, he, he allows you to, to testify about His goodness in front of everyone. Yeah, you know, I really love that, that point about ha- private worship. And I think, you know, as we consider these different aspects or, I guess, facets of worship, uh, you really can't have effective worship in one facet or one kind of area of worship without that flowing over into the others. You can't have mm, effective yes. corporate worship without private worship. And the other way around. And the other way around. Yes. And, and without effective life worship. And so they all just mm. work together to uh, give a holistic view of what worship is. Uh, and look, we, we see that present in the life of Jesus Christ. You know, all of the Gospels mentioned that very early in the morning, Jesus would retreat by himself mm. and spend time in prayer. So there would be the private worship. But then the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 4, on the Sabbath day, he would go to the synagogue and worship corporately with everyone else. Mm. And, and, and by the same token, if our life isn't in harmony with God, if we're willfully sinning, then anything we do on a Saturday or Sunday is not going to be acceptable to God. Yeah, and that, and that following on from that point you made, they're able about um, all of those aspects seen in Jesus' life. Mm. Life worship is a big one in there too, isn't it? Just the way that he lived his life um, to the That's glory right. of God. So this is a very great place for us to start our a deep dive into scripture here on the topic of worship. So I want to take us to a passage of scripture. We're going to turn to Daniel chapter three. And I want to look here at a, a story in scripture that really uh, touches on this idea of worship and, mm. and how, you know, how it's important and how to do it. So we're looking here at Daniel chapter three. We're going to read verses four through to seven. Uh, and we have here the scenario of uh, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, where they're, um, the King Nebuchadnezzar has set up an image for them to worship worship and uh, and we're going to read about how that all plays out. So here we find in Daniel chapter 3 uh, verse uh, verse 4 here uh, it says 
Then a herald cried aloud, uh, To you it is commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that at the time that you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, and psaltery in symphony with all kinds of music, uh, you shall fall down and worship the gold image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Uh, and whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Uh, so at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the harp, the lyre, in symphony with all kinds of music, uh, and all the people, nations and language fell down and worshipped the gold image which King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Uh, and so you have this scenario here of... Um, people falling down and worshiping at this image. And then, but then there's a twist in the story in verse 12, uh, which makes this a very interesting passage of scripture. Uh, it says, but there are, uh, there's, there's three boys that don't, don't uh, bow down here. That's right. And, um, and then the king's commanders, his rulers come along to him in verse 12. They says, there are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, these men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the gold image which you have set up. Mm. Uh, then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So they brought these men before the king. Uh, this is a very interesting passage of scripture. Um, the end result of this story is that um, these three boys get an opportunity to witness of, of the goodness of God to the king, the most powerful king in the, in the, the known world. And uh, they stay faithful to God despite yes. whatever happens. Uh, and I want to ask the question, I want to throw this one to you, Stephen. What does this passage teach us about this idea of worship? Well, first of all, the three Hebrew boys, uh, Michael, Azaria and uh, Hananiah, they were faithful in their private worship. We read in chapter two how that their prayer life was uh, sustained when they came into trouble. Mm. In chapter one, they were faithful even in, in as far as their diet was concerned. They wouldn't eat anything unclean. Yes. So God brought them to a stronger test, which involved, you know, uh, their lives were in danger. But they took the uh, second commandment, Exodus 24 to 6, seriously. Mm. Um, true worship is conducted in the, in the sphere of the Ten Commandments. Mm. And so um, it involves total commitment to Jesus and even in this case, it, even if it means standing against the majority, in this case, the whole of, of the nation of Babylon was bowing down to this image. And, and most of all the rest of Israel were doing the same to save their lives. But here we have three people who are worshipping God in, in truth. Mm. Yeah, I think that's so powerful. And it's, as you rightly point out, they set the context of appropriate worship by the commandments that God had given them, how God had asked them mm. to worship. Uh, and also what I like, you know, what you're saying, Steve, is that they, were, they chose to be faithful in probably, let's say, smaller things. And when the, the greater text came along, they were mm. prepared to stand for what is right mm. when, when the test came. And, and we all come to at least one test in our life because we can all be Christians when times are easy. Mm. But when the testing time comes, it, it it separates yes. the, the weak from the strong, doesn't mm. it? Yeah. The wheat from the tares. And, and I just love again how we can see these different ca uh, aspects of worship coming throughout private worship, leading into um, life worship and corporate worship and all working together. Now, this is not something that's unique or isolated to the Old Testament account of Scripture, but we find even in the New Testament, uh, similarly, God's faithful people at the end of time are found worshipping God in the context of the commandments, just like these Hebrew boys. And I want to read this passage of Scripture here. We're going to read uh, Revelation chapter 14, verse 6 through to 12. Uh, and it says 
here in, in God's word, it says, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. And another angel followed, saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city, because she has made all nations to drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Uh, Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand, he himself also shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night who worship the beast and his image, and whoever receives the mark of his name. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Uh, And so we see here another interesting passage of Scripture. What does this passage of Scripture teach us about the question of worship and what will be, you know, how this ties in with an end time scenario, Abel? I mean, you know, one of the main ideas would be how we worship God will become a a test of loyalty at the end of time. And I like the way in in verse 7 it says, fear God, and, you know, give glory to him mm. for the hour of his judgment has come and worship him. You know, the, the, John could have wrote and worship God and move on to the next idea. But he goes on explaining and worship him who created the heavens and the earth, the sea and the springs of water. Worship the creator, you know, mm. which is a, a direct correlation with the fourth commandment. So how we worship God will become a test of loyalty. Mm. So you pulled out that idea there of um, a particular commandment kind of relating to this crisis at the end times. Stephen, do you, do you want to comment on that um, and share with us a bit about yes, that? Yes, Abel reached into my question there, but oh, did I? <laughs> that's all right. Um, the test of lo- loyalty to God in, includes all the commandments, but the end of time, um, there's particular, particular focus on one commandment, and that's the fourth commandment. And the first part of verse 7, if we like to look at it, it says, um, and w- worship him who made heaven and earth the sea and the fountains of waters. Well, the first part, worship him who made heaven and earth and the sea is from the fourth commandment. Mm. So it's a direct quotation from there. So it's a call to worship the creator, the one who created everything. But the second part, the fountains of water, is uh, an allusion, I believe, and many commentators do, to um, the flood account Mm. in in, uh, Genesis chapter 7, verse 11 and 8, verse 2, where God calls the the water come from the, the... subterranean water holds and it helped to flood the earth as well as the water from above. Mm. And so here we have both, both, uh, both a call to be faithful and a warning to those who will um, still refuse to keep his commandments mm. that God will judge the wicked. Mm. Yeah, it's very interesting that we see here again a, uh, the, the scenario where God's people are called to worship in the context of the commandments. Yes. And, uh, the, and the, in this end time scenario, there's a particular commandment that becomes of, of certain focus. Uh, I, I think that's important because the fourth commandment, it's not just a rule of what to do, but it's a call to have close communion with our Creator. He says, I will spend a day with you a week. And we don't believe we're saved by doing works, but by having communion with Jesus, he gives you strength to to be good. Mm. 
Well, that was, that's a, there's a, certainly so much we could unpack in this mm. passage of Scripture, but I want to take us to another place in Scripture where uh, we actually find Jesus giving one of the most explicit and clear uh, definitions uh, in all of Scripture about what worship or the kind of worship that God requires. So let's turn in our Bibles to John chapter 4. We're going to read here. We find an account uh, where Jesus is describing uh, to uh, the, the woman here at the well uh, what worship he requires, what worship God requires. Uh, And in verse 23, it reads this, uh, it says, but the hour is coming uh, and now is when true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth. Mm. For the father is seeking such to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. There's an interesting description here of worship. There's two parts to it, and I want to look at both of them. But firstly, Abel, what does it mean to worship God in spirit? You look, I think the context of of what's happening here is very important because the the Samaritan woman said to Jesus, you know, we Samaritans worshipped on this mountain and you Jews worship in Jerusalem. And she was going about places and Jesus says, to worship God, you're not tied to a place, you're not tied to a venue, you're not tied to an object. Because when you worship Him, you worship Him in spirit mm. and in truth. In spirit, it's the core of your being. You, you worship Him with who you are. It's not a ritual. It's not about formalism. It's not something dry, but meaningful mm. and authentic. And in truth, you know, it's not just about being sincere in your, in your worship, but being anchored mm. in the Word of God. Yeah, that's powerful. And so many places throughout Scripture we see uh, God distancing Himself from dry formalism and worship that is, that is just in form only. Um, and, and worship in spirit stands in contrast to that idea with earnest, sincere, passionate, uh, grounded worship. That's very powerful. Now, building on that, the second part of the definition that Jesus gave there of worship is worship in truth. What does it mean to worship in truth, Stephen? Well, it's the opposite of worshiping in error, isn't it? It's... Uh, <laughs> It occurs in response in harmony with God's revelation of himself in God's word. Uh, true worship cannot occur apart from an understanding of, of, of our uh, God who in every aspect of worship must conform to the truth of God. So this is truth, I believe. Yeah, it's it's this idea of responding to uh, who God claims to be in Scripture. So Jesus puts these two together. Um, How important, why why is it so important that this, uh, to maintain this balance in worship, Abel? Well, if you are to focus, you know, sometimes for us as human beings, it's hard to stay on the middle path. You know, we, we like the extremes. Uh, and Jesus wants us to, to experience both worshiping with the inner being, but also to be anchored in truth. It doesn't matter if you're really honest. If, you, if you, what you believe is an error, that worship is not accepted mm. by God. Mm. Sure if you want to add something, Steve. Uh, just something that um, we must remember that we're not omniscient. We don't know everything. And so our faith is growing. And um, I believe that this is a call to study the word continually so that we can learn more and, and uh, grow in, mm. in the truth and worship God better, I believe, as we get older. That's so true. And, and you know, I want to ask a follow-up question to that because when, you know, it is important to maintain that balance. We see Jesus gives that description. You've shared with us a little bit about why. Um, but 
when this balance is maintained, this balance of worshiping in spirit and truth, is it a difficult thing to give worship to God according to in the context of the commandments? Is this something that is onerous or hard or is a burden to do? Um, Steve, how would you comment on that? I'd like to answer that from the scriptures. So if we go to 1 John 5, 3, John answers this so well. He says, for this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not grievous. Hmm. So therefore he says that um, true worship is motivated by true love to God. And this comes about by having a a cognizant understanding of what God has done for us through Jesus Christ, Mm. both in the incarnation of Jesus. We read uh, Philippians chapter 2, 2 to 5, what Jesus did for us, and also his um, passion, his death on the cross. Um, By understanding this, by meditating it, um, one author has said we should go through the the closing scenes of Christ's death every day. Mm. And this from this foundation in our life, it will spring forth faithfulness um, to God that is acceptable mm. to him. I believe this is the only thing that will work. Yeah. yeah. Now, you know, in light of this definition of worship that Jesus gives, um, you know, worshiping in spirit and in truth, I've heard it shared that, you know, this idea that as long as worship is sincere, as long as someone is well-intentioned, that any worship is acceptable to God. Um, is, this, is any worship, as long as it's sincere, uh, acceptable to God, Abel? Well, unfortunately, no, because sometimes it can be very sincere when you drink a, a bottle of poison. You're thinking, you're saying to yourself, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get well from this. You know, it's going to benefit me. Um, you know, God knows everyone, knows their hearts, they know their circumstances, but he's also calling us to, to live up to the light that has been revealed to us. And in the scripture, you know, when we say, let God speak, we want to worship him according to the guidelines. Mm. Uh, because the, the whole great controversy is about worship. Who mm. do we worship? How do we worship him? Mm. I'd just like to add something there. There is a way we can be wrong and still be acceptable to God. Acts seventeen thirty says that, he winks at our ignorance. Mm. So as we shouldn't judge others, I mean, we could be yes. doing things mm. ignorantly wrong, but we should do things, uh, everything that we um, know to be right, we should be mm. doing. According to the light that has been revealed to us. Mm. Yes. That's beautiful. And I think, um, you know, we see in Scripture examples that God gives us in His Word to guide us into correct worship so that we don't have to um, fall into the trap of, Um, worshipping outside of how God has asked us to worship Him. And I can think of several examples. I want to take us to a place in Scripture where worship uh, is is given, but it's not acceptable to God. So let's go to Genesis chapter 2. Sorry, Genesis chapter 4. And we're going to read in Genesis chapter 4 the account of um, Abel and Cain here in verse 2 and 4. Uh, And it says here uh, in verse two, it says of chapter four, then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of the sheep, um, but uh, Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. Uh, What lessons can we learn in this passage about worshipping God? Well, this is very important because it it connects to the uh, three angels' messages in Revelation 14, the mark of the beast. Um, So what this tells me that God is very precise. You know, he makes instructions 
And Abel's offering was accepted because he did it according to God's requirements, whereas Abel broke the rules. And we know because they were right at the beginning of time that God specified the sacrifice had to be a lamb without spot and blemish. So he knew that Cain knew better, but he mm -hmm. didn't do it according to God's will as revealed in the word. And it wasn't accepted. That's mm -hmm. a very valuable lesson for us today. Mm -hmm. God will not accept anything, but only according to what he has instructed. And, and he doesn't just put us in a scenario trying to trick us or try to trap yeah. us out, but he provides ample uh, guidance, instruction in his word to lead us into truth, gives his spirit to lead us into truth so that we can experience the fullness of true worship to God. I want to take us to one more passage here uh, in regards to this idea. In Mark chapter 7, we find Jesus describing again a, an example of worship that is not accepted by him. And in, in Mark chapter 7, we find Pharisees who have fallen into formalism, mm. man-made traditions. Uh, and we find in verse five here, it says, the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, why do your disciples not walk according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with their bread with unwashed hands? Jesus answered and said to them, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, that these people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain, they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Mm. What, you know, here we have again a scenario where uh, this is taking place. What can we learn about worshiping God from this passage, Abel? Oh, look, I, I believe, you know, God is looking for authenticity. You know, when we, you know, just think of your own life, you know, have you ever been in a church and you, you, you sang songs of praise, but you never really meant the, the words that you, you, you sung and we, we pray, do we really think through the words that we say? Do we really mean we, we love you, Lord? We, we want to praise you. We want to give you glory. Please forgive me. Uh, it's about really connecting with what you're saying. It's not formalism. I, I've done this and I tick the boss and I can, I, can, uh, mm. I can go on, but rather to be a worship that springs from the heart. And secondly, uh, we've emphasized this point, you know, teaching his doctrines, the commandments of men, you know, emphasizing things that people have built up and brought into our rituals is, is very important, but that's not what really matters. Is mm. And, and we also should, should be studying the word to make sure that what we're doing is not a tradition of men because there's mm. so many traditions out there mm. that Christians are doing, aren't they? And it's so easy for us to fall into these man-made traditions. Um, and I mean, it, it would probably be, you know, as we think of some of these man-made traditions that we can so easily fall into, mm. um, what are some of these things? Oh, there's eternally burning hellfire, uh, Sunday sacredness, immortality of the soul, uh, image worship. There's a whole host mm. of other things that be less um, left unnamed. But the main point is that we should study the word continually to see that to get these traditions out of our lives. Mm. And I think, you know, we, we see in, in God's word just so many descriptions of how to do that. God's guiding us as we do that. Um, you know, as we think of the take home message uh, that, you know, what, what, what can we take home from our study today that sums up our discussion of Scripture? Uh, just one point I'd like to make, and that is that that God's instructions are there for our own good, because I know people who are rebelling against God's world, mm -hmm. word, that he wants us to live eternally in heaven with him. And so it's best that we mm. obey him. Mm. The words of Jesus, worship him in spirit and in truth. Mm. You know, our worship is a response of the love that God has bestowed upon us. And what a privilege it is to be able to worship God in spirit and truth. Thank you for joining us, gentlemen. God calls us to worship him in spirit and in truth. 
True worship of God is a lifestyle and not only a moment in time. God is looking for believers who, motivated by love for God, will strive to give God glory He deserves in their lives, both privately and corporately. We're glad that you joined us today on Let God Speak. You can watch this or any past program on our website, 3abnaustralia.org.au. Teacher's notes can be downloaded there. You can send us an email on lgs at 3abnaustralia.org.au. Please join us again next time. We're glad that you could be with us. God bless. You have been listening to Let God Speak, a production of 3ABN Australia Television. To catch up on past programs, please visit 3abnaustralia.org.au. Call us in Australia on 02 4973 3456 or email radio at 3abnaustralia.org.au. We'd love to hear from you.